Welcome to Burrows and Burbs with hosts John Ingle and Roberto Cabrera. Over the next hour, you're going to learn some insider knowledge that will help you overcome and strategize in the cutthroat world of real estate. Now, here are your hosts, John and Roberto. Welcome, everybody. Burrows and Burbs, episode 113, the changing insurance landscape in the high net worth market. Before we get to our show, I just want to thank our sponsor, sharegracefarms.com. Buy their coffee, buy their tea. It's amazing coffee, amazing tea, and it benefits the Design for Freedom initiative. Find out more about it at sharegracefarms.com. Today on the show, we have Pure Insurance. We have Joe Flood Rossi, also from... Let's see, Flood Insur- Joe Flood Insurance, and we have Rand Insurance on the show. Let me hit stop share and introduce my guests. Frank DeGrand, say hi. Good afternoon, everybody. Frank DeGrandy. Joe, say hi. Hello, everyone. Joe Rossi. And you're in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Just outside of Plymouth, yep. And Frank's in New Jersey, and Brendan O'Brien from Rand Insurance. Where are you? I'm uh, right here in New Canaan, Connecticut. All right. And Roberto, my co-host, broadcasting from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. World Headquarters, Center of the Universe, Upper West Side. And today we also have Meredith from 30,000 feet in the air, Meredith Bach, and John Shore, from the west of the the suburbs west of Boston, uh, who can help us out and talk about the high net worth market. Um, I'm very excited to be talking about the insurance market. A lot of people have come up to me on the street and they said, I'm very excited about the show this week. And I said, really? You know, we're talking about insurance. And they said, oh no, this isn't a very insurance, uh, this very interesting topic um, because uh, my insurance rates are going up. Uh, they're not insuring my beach house. Um, they've told me I need to change my behaviors. Something's up in the insurance world, in the world of high net worth insurance. And so I wanted to invite three experts on the world of high net worth insurance and find out what's going on. So with that, um, maybe you want to start, Brendan, and talk to me about what it is to be a uh, in the business of high net worth insurance. What sets you guys apart from, say, the ordinary folks over at State Farm? Well, the, I think the uh, the main differentiator between a, a direct writer, which is a State Farm on Allstate or Farmers, and a high net worth uh, carriers, um, the Pures of the world, the Chubbs, the Berkeley ones, um, it's their contract, and, and one's an all-peril policy that covers a broader policy than the HO3 or the direct carrier policies that they write. Um, but it's really the values of the home and it's the, it's the toys and it's the extra things that the high net worth individual has on their policies. So not only are we ensuring the high net worth homes values of, you know, 1.5 million and higher, um, we also are insuring a large jewelry schedule or, or fine arts schedule, uh, as well as classic automobiles, secondary homes, either in the mountains or on the beach. Um, so it's more of a more comprehensive policy. And we're really trying to 
mitigate the risk of our, our insurance and make sure that they're covered and there's no gaps in insurance and, and we make sure we have adequate umbrellas for their exposure. So when we put together this show, you said you got to invite Pure. So why don't you introduce, why is Frank here and why Pure? Um, well, Pure is one of our, our partnerships that Rand Insurance has. Rand Insurance is an independently owned insurance agent. Um, we've been around for 85 years in Fairfield County with offices in Greenwich, New Canaan, and Darien. Um, and we don't partner with all the carriers out there. We, we have a few select carriers that we work with, uh, Pure being one of them. Um, they have an excellent underwriting team. Um, they have a, a, an outstanding customer service team. And, and what Frank is involved in is their claims, which, as most of our insureds know, when you have a claim, that's the most important thing, um, is that you are kept uh, up to date on what's happening and the coverage and, and what the policy provides in coverage. Uh, and Pure has just done an excellent job. Um, so we're, you know, we our premiums are growing every year with, with Pure um, through new business as well as you know, our high net worth insureds adding on to their existing policies with new secondary homes and so forth. Frank, um, what sets Pure apart? You know, John, from uh, from my vantage point, I think what sets us apart is our claims handling ability. Um, no matter where the loss is and uh, no matter what the size loss, we are able to, uh, to dedicate ourselves to handling that claim in a very efficient way. Um, we have a, a member advocate team approach which is somewhat unique in the industry. But when a claim is called in, uh, our member advocates are licensed adjusters. And so the first time that an actual member calls in a loss, they're speaking to an adjuster. It's a very different way to handle claims. I think that a uh, majority of carriers have a customer service representative handling um, that first notice of loss call, and then they have to route a claim differently. Here, our, uh, our frontline team, our member advocates can make decisions on claims and then get them into the right hands. But I think that's how it starts off making us a very different company, explaining your story, hopefully once and not through a, uh, a ring of people. I want to tell a story about that, but I'm going to first introduce Joe Flood. Joe, introduce yourself. Tell us what is Joe Flood Rossi? Sure. So Joe Flood Rossi is uh, my brand uh, and I'm president and CEO of Joe Flood Insurance Brokerage. So we have uh, an insurance division, which is a uh, flood only wholesaler and an MGA. So we have our own product uh, backed by Chubb European Group and Lloyd's of London um, that is a flood product. And we also um, are a consultant for uh, various types of flood risk uh, information, data, a um, bunch of different things, education and outreach. Um, you know, from my perspective, um, one of the unique things about our program, at least on the MGA side or the product program that's backed by um, Chubb European and, and Lloyd's is the fact that we can do insurable values of up to a billion dollars with our program. So where uh, we do look at a lot of high net worth homes in our program, um, we're insuring, you know, probably a $20 million home at least once a week at this point. So we're, um, you know, for flood coverage. So uh, it's definitely something that we see a lot, uh, a lot of. Why, why is, is somebody else not picking up this business? Have, 
Is somebody is it a geography or is it a per particular segment of the market that's allowing you to pick up all this new business? Well, I think um, I think a few things. I think our program is unique uh, in where we can look at insurable values on the both the PL and CL side, personal lines, commercial lines uh, at a at very high values. Now, you very you're not going to see a hundred million dollar home, but we do have a couple fifty million dollar homes on on our uh, in in the books, and so you know in in typically. Um, when you get to the high net worth homes, we're looking at things and, and typically these homes have done things because of the type of buildings that they are that potentially have mitigated or lessened some of the flood risk. And I'll give you a perfect example. We were looking at a home on an island in Miami and, and the owner had gone through and put in sump pumps and a pumping system and a flood wall system and you know all of these very expensive flood mitigation measures that we were able to take into consideration when offering the coverage. Um, you know, I think it was a 56 or, or $58 million home. Um, so, you know, those are the types of things that we're looking at also. We're not just looking at, you know, where the building is geographically. We're taking the foundation, the uh, elevation, the surge. We model all of that stuff in-house. And when it comes to flood, it's very location specific. So, you know, a home on a inlet, on the east coast of Florida is actually going to model a lot better than the same home on the west coast of Florida. So um, those that's just an example of why, you know, and how we're looking at the business differently than maybe some others. Can I ask you a question, Joe, is just out of curiosity. First of all, I'm curious as to what that $50 million home you're talking about is how much they pay just out of curiosity. I'm sure. I mean, it's isolated. Sure. It's in a vacuum. But also, is everything insurable at a price? <laughs> um, I would say 90% of everything is insurable uh, at a price. You know, it's not always going to be through our program, but certainly um, there are programs out there that will take it. It's just the cost that you're willing to pay. The $50 million home for $5 million in coverage is 200 grand a year for their flood insurance. So, you know, there is a price tag associated with the coverage, but being able to get the coverage offered um, is a really big part of what we do. And what's interesting is, I guess you could say anything coastal in Florida, as an example, or uh, and then anything south of Orlando is going to require the National Flood Insurance Program as your first layer. Um, anything you want above the National Flood Insurance Program's layer um, is going to, you know, you're going to have to use the NFIP as the first layer. And that's $250,000 regardless of the value of the building for building coverage. Now, what's really interesting, and you asked That doesn't earlier, go very far in Florida right now. No, it doesn't. But what's interesting is when we look at these buildings, you've got a home, a high net worth home in Florida typically has a pool house or a garage that's either detached or considered detached for all intents and purposes, well, they can buy another NFIP policy for that building. So now all of a sudden, we're not looking at excess 250000 we're looking at excess 500000 or we're looking at excess 750000 or we're looking... So, so depending on the setup there, we will make the recommendations to purchase multiple NFIP policies where possible to give us that underlying layer for us to then build our excess policy on top.
I want to go back to Frank. I'm going to say that you, uh, I came out as of the Army as a young lieutenant and went with a certain national insurance company in uh, headquartered in San Antonio once upon a time. And when a tree came down on my on the slate roof uh, of my house in New Canaan, they I called them up because that was one of those direct policies you're talking about. And they said, yeah, that's a that's a two thousand dollar repair. And I said, you can't get any, you can't do anything in New Canaan, Connecticut for two thousand dollars. Are you kidding me? No, no. It says right here on the table. They said it uh, right here on the spreadsheet, two thousand bucks for one square of roof. And I said, this is a slate roof. And they're like, well, yeah, we don't have those here in San Antonio. But uh, that's what the that's what the spreadsheet says. And I didn't have anybody I could call what you said, advocate. So can you talk to me about what it means to be an advocate? Because I felt like I got uh, gypped because I didn't have an advocate back in those days. Sure, John. I um I know the um the the area and the company that you speak of very well. We have a good relationship with them, and and we insure many people that um that are out of the military. Um, an advocate, uh, the way that Pure looks at it is, on all of our our property claims that come through, there is an advocate on every loss, and um and they are really helping our members with any sort of administrative tasks that are involved in a claim, potentially looking out for or, or researching contractors if we need it. Um, we like to say it's a huge umbrella that every member has different needs when a claim comes in. And then our advocates listen to exactly what the situation is and how we can best help. They work hand in hand with our adjusters in order to understand the actual claim they handle additional living expenses for the majority of people who would need them if the if their loss is significant, and so I'd like to say it's it's um it circles just about everything you can think of from you know people that have had and and been displaced and need additional living expenses to someone who may need a contractor who um who needs a, a specialized roof as yourself uh, looking for slate they can do a lot of research they can cut through some of that red tape. Um, and uh, and certainly we make them very well known in the in the early on in the claims process. Uh, they also handle what we would describe as loss prevention benefits. In the event that we do have a claim and the claim exceeds ten thousand dollars after a deductible, we have up to twenty five hundred dollars to prevent the loss from happening again. Maybe in your specific example, it would be removing additional trees that were close to the home. Uh, and we would certainly look to do that. And the advocates uh, normally spearhead that that operation. Now, is the advocate part of Pure or AIG, or is it part of RAND, the people I call? The um, the advocate is part of Pure. They are direct employees for Pure. So I've but got RAND also, working for me, and I've got Pure working for me. Yeah, I would also add that you know RAND insurance uh, as as your advocate as well, because. A lot of times when you deal with a direct carrier, you know, you're just calling an 800 number. Uh, we get involved in the claim process. So we usually are the ones that take the claims from the insured. Uh, and then we notify, and, and in case for Pure is on the account, we notify Pure and we connect them. But we stay involved in the process and follow it step by step to make sure that the insured, it, all the questions are answered and that things are moving in, in a smooth process. So we show up at the site, we will also be the advocate uh, as well alongside with Pure. 
All right. Now that we've set the table and we know where everybody's coming from, I want to get into what's changing in the insurance business. The original idea for the show when I called Meredith and I said, I don't get it. I've been talking to my boss in New York and he's got a, a great art collection and his insurance company said, yeah, you can't keep that in, in your New York apartment because you're not there enough of the time. You got to take that to the place you spend most of your time. Uh, my wife says, yeah, my insurance company says that you have to put your jewelry in the bank. You can't put it in a safe at your house. And I was like, huh, I wonder if that's a new phenomenon. Uh, so I and I have an I, the third is I have a customer here in New Canaan whose insurance company says you have to put a new roof on your house in New Canaan. What? Yeah, because they're insuring my house in Florida and it requires a new roof. They're also requiring me to put a new roof on my house in New Canaan, Connecticut. And I said, that seems very strange. Are these new changes? Is the insurance company reacting to some of the natural disasters? Are they getting smarter about risk? What's changing in the industry over the last couple of years? Well, well I think, I, from oh, a, go ahead. From an agency standpoint, um, we have seen the carriers taking on more of a per preventive role in the risk um, where they are looking at inspections. They are looking at the age of the roof closer. They are looking at whether if it's a large home, we just had one of the, our, our carriers say any new business that's over $5 million of dwelling limit or coverage A, um, they're going to require a water shutoff device. Um, so they're, they're trying to prevent the losses before they happen. And because they are trying to prevent the losses, we are seeing that the insured is being required uh, to maybe take additional steps after they purchase the home. Uh, it may be to patch the roof if the roof is of a certain age. It may be to add a water detection system. Uh, all now, pretty much on any home that's above $2 million, you're seeing that you must have central alarms, fire and burglar. So I think the insurance carriers are, are being more proactive in their approach, which is only benefiting the insureds because and until you had a large water loss and you're out of your house for a year while they're repairing it, um, that $3,000 water defense system sounds like a pretty good idea to get ahead of time and prevent the, the loss from ever happening. So I am seeing that the carriers are being a little bit more proactive in their approach, which unfortunately at, at times means additional premium or additional expenses to be sure. No, I would imagine that guys like me are asking our insurance brokers, what can I do to keep these pol these premiums from rising. And you probably advise your customers, well, if you really want to save money, you put in some of these preventative measures. And the insurance carriers always give you credits for doing that. And if you decide to put in a generator at your home, you're going to receive a credit off of your homeowner's premium. Same with the water leak defense system. Um, some carriers, if you have a new roof, will give you new credits up to 10 years for having that new roof. So they are giving you the benefits of taking some precautions and having some devices put in that may prevent future risk future like like a dry hydrant in my swimming pool yes um the only thing you have to be careful about is that the fire department will not go behind the house to access that dry hydrant during a fire they have to stay in front of the house so most of the time we have them bring the uh, hydrant or the the valve to access the pool's water to the driveway or to the front by the mailbox. 
What well, is that exactly? What is that? If there's a fire, they can draw the the water from your pool? Yes. Certain areas in the country, um, they have a, a protection class rating. Uh, means how far is the fire department from your home and where is the closest water source. And it goes from, you know, a PC1 all the way to an extreme, which is a PC10, where means that the fire department is over five miles from the house and there's not a water source within a thousand feet. Uh, and that affects your premium. Um, you will pay a higher premium for a home that's in an unprotected area. So we are seeing, especially in the town that, that I'm uh, an agent in, New Canaan, um, our fire department is not always five miles from the farthest home in town. We only have one fire department in town. So certain areas of New Canaan are unprotected. So we see a lot of dry hydrants being put in, meaning they'll tap a pond or they'll tap a lake or, or a homeowner could tap their own pool or they could put a cistern in front of their house and fill that with water. Or we have a cul-de-sac that has done that. So they have enough gallons for a home if there's a fire. So it's just a way to, um, again, prevent uh, losses by having water at hand. What else is changing, Frank? Well, I think that Brendan landed a lot. I, that was interesting on the dry hydrant scenario there. Um, we certainly do require that on, on occasion. Uh, if you do sort of have a large enough house in, in, in an unprotected area. But I'd like to say that on, on secondary homes, they're certainly subject to a variety of different perils when they're not occupied for a period of time and you have extremely cold temperatures in the Northeast. Uh, and, and I would think that, you know, we have certainly gone into that direction of mandating um, shutoff devices so that in the event that, you know, people don't always leave the heat on at a high enough level to keep pipes from freezing. And um, and this at least would stop. It wouldn't prevent the loss completely, but it would prevent the severity of a loss in the event that there was frozen pipes or multiple frozen pipes because the water shutoff device would uh, would actually work. Um, and I do think that you know there is some onus on uh, on the people that you ensure that they want to protect the interests that you want to protect. And um, and certainly, um, you know, yes, I recognize that there there is an increased cost involved. But in a lot of times, the inconvenience of the loss is is significant and hopefully outweighs the, the inconvenience of, of the cost. I have a client, and it actually happened this week. We're starting to get frost at night in New Canaan, and I've got a client who is 90 years old in New York, living on Fifth Avenue. He owns two houses, two mid-century modern houses in town. And I think I say that he's 90 because he's not driving out here uh, every weekend. And I was very worried this week and called him up and I said, I really think that it's not enough to uh, leave the heat on in the low 60s. I really think that you need to have the water shut off in these houses if you're not going to be coming for weeks at a time. And yesterday he did send somebody around to winterize both houses. But I wonder how often that's happening, and I wonder how whether that's coming from the homeowner taking the initiative, or is insurance getting more sophisticated and looking across the data and saying where's the risk, and is the insurance industry is pure is Rand getting proactive about that, calling people up and saying this is what we think you need to do. We're coming up on Thanksgiving, and I know that, and and uh, I know we got a lot of people who are going to be uh, cooking turkeys. Um, in 
dangerous uh, propane filled situations. And I know we're also starting with, uh, you know, uh, fireplace season out here. There's risk all over the place. Frank, protect me. Protect <laughs> me. What should I be doing? John, you couldn't have said any better. Um, deep frying turkeys. We've had uh, plenty of losses uh, from from a you know barbecue type that goes bad because it's too close to the house. People turn on fireplaces um, and uh, and maybe they don't have a spark arrestor on the top of that chimney and it comes out and there's leaves up on the roof because it's here it is in the fall. Uh, we've had fires from that. Um, and then so, you know, you, you really want to make sure that that people are very much aware. Um, our, our company does a great job about letting people know of certain catastrophes that are that are imminent, uh, whether or not it's a um, it's a hurricane that's coming up the coastline. And we will certainly make proactive calls to people and let them know uh, if it's coming in down in Florida. We're advising people to make sure that things are coming in off their balconies. Um, but there are ways to protect your home. Technology has certainly, uh, you know, keeps on advancing, and um, and we keep on looking for different ways to advise our members uh, in order to prevent the loss, um, which as much as we possibly can, and and making our communication available to them as well. <clears throat> are you getting specific with people, or is it sort of general? Do you do you call me up and say I really need you to board up those windows? Hurricanes coming up the coast, or do you say just get the heck out of there, John? Yeah, we, we will get specific with people. Um, if we know about a storm coming in, we obviously would run um, uh, statistics on the business that we have in the area and the coverages that they have in the area. So let's just say, for instance, somebody has a uh, very expensive fine art collection in a condominium. Uh, if we have enough lead time, we could actually have services come in to move that fine arts um, if it was necessary, or we thought that the exposure was great. Uh, and we alert people of that. And uh, we're certainly proactive when it comes down to it, uh, trying to understand what they have at risk, what we have at risk, uh, and alerting them. That is fascinating to me. Is that a new thing, or have you always done that? I want to say that we've always done it um, ever since we really started to understand catastrophes, the exposure, and what we had. Um, we not only run fine arts, but we'll also look at high-valued vehicles, and we will advise members that have high-valued vehicles, where can you bring them to a higher level so that um, they would not flood? Uh, we are What happens, proactive. Frank, what happens in the event? Because I'm imagining some of these people are, are quite eccentric and quite, you know, we all deal with these types of clients. They're very fixed in their ways, and they say, I'm not moving the cars. I'm not moving the art. It's going to be fine. And then something happens. And you say, well, look, we I had told this you so. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> what, ha what happens then? You know, Roberto, I, I don't believe that we would ever exclude coverage just because we said that there was a uh, storm that was going to be imminent and you didn't take proactive action. Uh, it would have to be much different than that. Obviously, we're, we're in the business to prevent losses from happening if we can. But in the event that somebody has a claim, we'll fully investigate the claim and, and understand how it happened and why it happened. Oh, come on, so, Frank. You guys cannot be content to just wag your finger at Roberto after he doesn't do what you told him to do. You got to say, I, mean, I want my premiums to go down. And if Roberto and all the other bad actors out there don't take your advice, my premiums are going to go up. They would. Right. Yeah, they, the they industry has would. got to yeah. be responding to that and knowing that I, I am the kind of guy who tucks the art 
under his under his arm and heads up to drier places. And Roberto is one of those neglectful types, and he's making my premiums go up. Not fair. And yeah. and while that could be the case, I, I think that um, we look to evaluate each risk on an annual basis, and and Roberto may not stay with Pure Insurance after that um, that that scenario. Thanks, John. Yeah. Well, uh, Frank brings up a point about um, non renewals. Um, I would have to say that in the industry as a whole, the last eighteen months to two years, we've seen more non renewals, um, and it has been because. Uh, the same insured is having uh, the same risk and the same claims. Uh, they'll have a water loss. They won't take the precautions. They didn't get the leak detection system put in and they'll have another water loss. Um, and it gives the opportunity for the insurance carriers to get off of the risk. And it's also finding it very difficult to find a new home for that insured because they did not, they have several losses on the record. Um, so the insureds have to be careful now. Sometimes, if you keep filing claims, you're going to be harder to insure and your insurance score uh, will be affected and insurance scores dictate premium. If you have a poor insurance score because you file a lot of claims, you're going to pay a higher premium than somebody who's buying the same house who has a very good insurance score. So, Am I allowed that, to know what my score is? Yeah. It's very difficult to get an actual insurance score. A lot of insurance carriers put you in tiers. Um, and they'll have a tier from one to seven and then seven to 15 and so forth. But um, I think what I've come to realize after doing this for a number of years, your insurance score and your credit score kind of follow hand in hand. Um, <laughs> so see Is that, that score you know, knowable be among the companies? Um, I don't. I mean, they all pull their own insurance score and they all use, um, you know, the clue reports to um determine what the past claims have been on a home. Um, we're seeing a lot right now where if a new purchase is being made in, in the insurance is shopping for the new insurance for their home before they close, we could pull up that the previous homeowner had three water claims on that home. Certain carriers will decline it, the risk, even though the purchaser of the home has had no claims because the home shows that it's had previous risk. Either their insulation in the pipes isn't is what they would like to see, or for some reason, the pipes are getting old and they're having claims. As a realtor, I want to know that. If I'm going to sell Roberto a house out here and it's an uninsurable house, I as a realtor, I need to know that. I need to be able to advise my client. Yeah, but, you know, that's true. I mean, you'd like to have that ability. Uh, I know with flood policies, we do know if they filed a claim in the past and they'll see a, a repetitive loss on a flood policy. So you can say, yes, this home is in a flood zone. It's had two previous losses. Um, you'll still get flood insurance for that home, but you'll pay a higher premium because of the previous losses. Um, and the same is true for homeowners policies. You How about you, Joe Flood? Have you got have you got a strategy to save me money on that bad house with a history of flooding? Well, you know, the about repetitive loss properties or severe repetitive loss properties are they are only about, you know, there's only about forty-three thousand repetitive losses in the country or severe repetitive losses, which out of five million flood policies. 
uh, isn't a huge number, but they account for 30% of the claims that the National Mm -hmm. Flood Insurance Program uh, has. And so it's a major focus of federal, of congressional reform on the National Flood Insurance Program side. And it is very tough to save money on a property that has, that is a severe repetitive loss. Now, just for some context, a severe repetitive loss, you will know if it's a severe repetitive loss because the policy number will start with RL. So if the policy number starts with RL, you're in trouble. I just saw one the other day and the agent sends me the three policies and they go to commercial account. And they said to me, they said, this one, Building, you know, there's only there's one RL and all the others are regular policy numbers. This one building had two claims. Well, if it's an RL, I know that it must have met the following definition: four claims of at least five thousand dollars, two of which has must have happened within ten years of each other. So I know that by having the RL in front of the policy number, there are more than two claims, and there's more going on here than what the agent uh, has described. So repetitive losses, repetitive loss policies are very difficult. I will never forget about eight years ago, um, I had a seller come to me as an agent and when I was in the retail world, um, retail insurance world, and I had five different realtors come to me and ask me about the meaning behind the RL and the policy number because the every time it was discovered, they would hire that realtor and bring a new one in because they didn't, they knew what it meant and didn't want it to be something that was found. Um, but there's really no getting around it. The policy number will tell you a lot in the RL uh, means that it's a severe repetitive loss. Now, changes under the new FEMA rating system called risk rating 2.0 have changed things a little bit because now they're actually giving a, so in, in the old system, repetitive losses were the only, are severe repetitive losses with that RL number were the only structures that were penalized for having claims. So if you think about that, you had to have a pretty significant loss history to be charged more for having claims. But now with the new risk rating 2.0 system, any more than one claim uh, will trigger a uh, what they call a, um, a debit or a or, or a, a surcharge onto the policy for having a claim, uh, and so it's very important. And in FEMA will publish the number of claims on the deck page that count towards the surcharge. Now, what's tricky about this is we had a scenario where there were three claims, so it was not a severe repetitive loss because it didn't meet the four claim definition. But it also had been pre-risk rating 2.0. So the claims only count from April 1st of, of last year going forward. So, uh, but the owner bought the home and uh, later found out that there had been three claims. So it wasn't counted towards the premium and it wasn't counted towards a repetitive loss. But these were not small claims. 10,000, 15,000, and 148,000. So, you know, they said, they said, look, if I had known that there were these claims, I may have reconsidered my purchase. So there are gray areas within knowing about losses and understanding losses. And just I'll summarize by saying that the only way to actually get a loss history through the NFIP is for the current owner of the home to ask the NFIP for that loss history 
they'll get it and then it's up to them to share it other than the conditions that I've previously mentioned. And it's not required that they share it, although it's probably um, a question on disclosures in, that are required in every state. Yeah, and, and you'll probably see in the news states like New York and New Jersey are, are getting pretty serious about flood claims and flood risk disclosures. Um, and it's a question that's now a focus of some associations uh, or nonprofits out there. Um, so, uh, you know, there a lot of people are pushing for these flood claim disclosures or flood risk disclosures. So as those specific disclosure laws come across the country um, and are also being considered at the federal level, uh, it's something to keep in mind that only certain states require the claims history be disclosed. That's a lot to absorb. Uh, wow. Really is. <laughs> uh, wow, you've already that, this just got to be one of my favorite shows because people are going to dial into this forever and they're going to learn about uh, risk assessment 2.0 and they're going to learn about RL being a bad word and realtors all over the country are going to get smarter. Thank you, Joe Flood. I was yeah, just thinking the RL in that case where the guy's not telling you the truth. It's like you're really lying. <laughs> I had a client who uh, filled out on his disclosures, do you have a flood problem? No, I don't have a flood problem. And the buyer wrote and said, but there's been a $100,000 claim for basement flooding. And uh, my client said, yeah, I had a flood. I cleaned it up. I fixed the problem. No problem. And I'm like, I don't have a flood problem. And I thought, but, but. That's that's a very narrow interpretation of the disclosures. And he was a New York lawyer, and I guess he had read them very carefully his way and determined that he could answer the disclosures that way. Uh, so um, you're right. There's no getting around a big RL stamp um, on it. I want to because I have Scott H, Scott Hobbs, and I've got Pete Mikalski here. Uh, they are high-end builders. They are building uh, extraordinary homes. Pete is with Wadia and Associates. Uh, Scott is with Hobbs Inc. They build better than average homes. And since today's subject is the high net worth uh, insured, I want to tackle the fact that in my most recent um uh, my most recent analysis of the $3 million homes in, in New Canaan, the average price sold over the last year was about $550 a foot. But if I ask Scott or Pete if they have built any house for five, a mere $500 and $555 a foot in the last two years, they would probably say no. Uh, I, the houses we're building are double, triple that uh, in many cases. How do you as insurers adequately evaluate what you're insuring not only the risk but the val the replacement value of these homes i say that maybe more succinctly by saying there is a big range even within the three to four million dollar tranche in new canaan between the quality of these homes and i'm wondering whether your inspections are adequately answering that question the quality that of a of a Hobbs built home or a Wadia built home. Um, as far as uh, once the homeowner purchases the home and closes on the home, the high net worth carriers will send somebody out to inspect their home, usually within twenty days after they close. 
Um, and the risk consultants at these firms are the ones that do the inspections. Um, they are very talented and they understand construction and they understand the quality of construction in our area. So they look at your house and they look at the special features and they take photographs of it and they take notes. So they are very accurate on the cost, the reconstruction cost. Unfortunately, it makes our insurance very unhappy. They say we purchased this home for $3 million, but the insurance carrier tells me I have to insure it for 4.2. Why is that? I only want to insure, and they're not even taking into account the land or the land value. So we always have to it's a, explain it to the insureds. You know, the insurance carriers aren't concerned about the value of the land. They're not concerned about the real estate value. What they're concerned about is the cost to rebuild your house if there's a total loss or if there's a major loss. So they're very accurate. And, and, and they look, they talk to the contractors, usually on a quarterly basis. They know what the raw materials are going to cost. They know what labor costs. So they factor that all into the calculations. I would say, you know, we, we haven't had a lot of total loss that ran, um, but I do know speaking with uh, Chubb uh, several years ago, out of all their total losses they've had over the last five years, not once has the cost to rebuild been the dwelling limit or under. It's always been over the dwelling limit. There's a lot that yeah, goes. What, is that, what does that mean? Give me an example. If you have a dwelling limit for, let's say, $2 million on a home and you have a total loss. The insurance carriers, it's, it's pretty safe to say when they rebuild your house, it's going to cost them more than $2 million. And what happens? They're going to clean all the debris off your property. They're going to put you in a similar home in the same neighborhood and pay for that the whole time they're rebuilding your cost. They're going to pay the contractors not only for their work, but the contractors have to make a profit too. So they pay for the profit. They pay for the architecture fees. They pay for make sure the house is built to code. So any upgrades that are necessary. So it's, it's an expensive process. And, so, and so, but so that, that is a, that policy is about, it's to replace the home, no matter what. It's not that here's $2 million and whatever it costs above that, it's your problem. Correct. Uh, pure, Chubb, Berkeley One, AIG, Cincinnati, um, what are probably the, the, the high net worth carriers that we see. Um, they rebuild your costs. They rebuild your home regardless of the cost with the same materials that are in your house currently. If you have a 1790 stone farmhouse with plaster walls, they're going to build a 1790 stone house with plaster walls if that's what you want. They're not going to build you whatever they can afford or whatever materials they want to put into that house to save themselves any, any cut corners. They're not going to do that. They rebuild your house. You're going to have the same special features as you currently have. So that this is, um, can, can you, can we talk just kind of, I just want to make a comparison. Let's say you have, you know, you have state farm or whatever, and then you have pure, obviously this level of service is, um, it's almost unquantifiable. It's like sitting first class or sitting coach or something like that. It's like just a big difference. And it's either, you know, look, I just need to get to Europe. I'm going to get there for $700 or I'm going to pay $10,000 to sit in my first class seat and I'm going to get there. You know, it's a big difference. But is, the, is there a differential in the actual cost of insurance to do, to like replace? Like what is the, like if State Farm is, you have a policy with State Farm, you get a policy with Pure, 
what's the differential? It's twice as much. It's three times as much. It's well, and I know it's again, it's in a vacuum. It's a it's a very we don't, you know we don't have access to State Farm, but I've seen a lot of policies, and and State Farm's an excellent insurance carrier. Um, but what we do see from the State Farms, the Travelers, the all states, is they do a very good job insuring homes up until seven hundred and fifty eight hundred million dollar price range. They're not really designed to cover high net worth homes, just by the language of their policy. It's, they call it a, a named peril policy. It covers 17 things in the policy. It's the things that you and I would expect. If you have a fire, it's covered. If you have a tree fall in your house, it's covered. Um, but let's say you have a fire at the state farm policy or an HO3 carrier, um, and it damages a third of your house. So state farm is going to come in and repair it. They're going to redo the floors and they're going to redo the drywall and they're going to walk out. And you're going to say, wait a minute, the place that you, the proportion that you fixed does not match the rest of the first floor anymore. They're going to say, that's not our problem. That's your problem. We fixed what was damaged. Pure, on the other hand, is going to come in and say, listen, we're going to redo the whole first floor because it's continuous flooring and we want it to match for you. And the same with the paint, the paint, you could tell that we painted it. We're going to do the whole first floor so that it's continuous and it looks the same way it did before the loss. That's the difference. That's what you're going to get for paying for the high net worth carriers. The premium, Amazing. once the homes get to be above a million, a million two, you'd be surprised. The HO3 premiums really do skyrocket because they really don't, it, they don't want to cover that risk because their policy really isn't designed to cover it. But they say, if we're going to take that risk on, we're going to generate enough premium to cover it. And you're going to find that after a certain point, the HO3 policy, there's not much of a savings, if any, from an uh, HO5 high net worth carrier. And, and okay. Frank, you kind of talk about claims that you see, but, you know, we've had enough of claims where we've had an HO3 carrier and the insured has changed from that carrier and, and came to ran because, you know, I'll give you an example. They had a, a, a water leak in their house um, last March, it was, um, and they were covered by an HO3 carrier. They came in and repaired the floors and repaired the ceiling and did some work with the cabinets. But when they left, when the heat came up in the summertime, it started to warp all the cabinets. They wouldn't close. But State Farm said, that's not, we've, we've already done our repairs. It's not part of the same issue. It's a new issue. It's a new claim. In this case where we deal with Pure and other carriers, they would have taken care of the whole problem because it's part of the same claim and they're going to make the insured whole at the end of the process. Yeah, Is there a general rule of thumb of, you know, val uh, the, what your insurance would cost versus, you know, you, the value of your home? You have a million dollar home, your insurance should, it will cost you 3% of the value of that every year. And then with Pure, it's going to be obviously it's going to be more because it's it's just a more substantial situation. Is there any sort of general rule of thumb? And also, does that general rule of thumb vary from jewelry to expensive cars to paintings? So as far as um, a value, if you have a million dollar home um, and you can say it's going to be like, say, X dollars per hundred or something like that to figure out a, a rate. Um, you, you can't do that on the insurance because um, I could purchase a home for a million dollars. Roberto can purchase a home for a million dollars and John. And if we all have different insurance scores and different credit scores, I may pay 
3,000 for that home. Roberto may pay five and John may pay six. It, it varies that much. So it's it's almost impossible. Like a lot of times we get someone that calls and says, I'm closing on this home. Here's the address. What's my insurance premium? Just give me a ballpark. It, you really can't. Um, and if I ever they ever pin me down and try to get a ballpark out of me, it's such a big spread just to make sure that they understand that it does vary. Um, just so like bl- buying a f- seat on a flight. This yeah. guy paid seven hundred. I paid two hundred. He paid thousand. <laughs> so it does. It varies a lot. It's and and then you know we also see that in you know as an agency ran, we'll do this all the time. If we have two working um, a family that's buying a home, they have two incomes. We may put it under the husband's name, and that may be one premium. We may put it under their spouse's name. And it may be a separate premium. It may be better because they have a better insurance score, or credit score. And usually we can tell when you kind of get a quote, if you see that one kind of is spiked and it's very high, you know, we can flip the name insureds if they're both working. Um, and you may get a better premium just by switching the names. As an, that as an is very clever. I had no idea. So I just learned one more thing. Thank you, Brendan. That was great. Put it in my wife's name, save some money. I love well, that. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes you'll find that um, if there's dual income, they usually both have, you know, credit cards and have had mortgages and bought cars and loans and so forth. A lot of times when you have a single family household, everything's in one individual's name. So the mortgage and everything, the cars and their credit score may not be as strong as their spouses because they just don't have as much credit in their name. I know what you mean, Brendan. So, I yeah, know what changed. you mean. Frank, are you equally good at everything? I'm looking right here at your page and I see all the different things that you do. Here you're not a policy holder, you're a member. And then I look at the coverages. You do jewelry, art, autos, personal excess, fraud, cyber, watercraft. Are you what's your sweet spot? I'd like to say, John, that we handle everything fantastic. Um, and uh, and I'd say if, if there was a sweet spot, obviously the home is the lead into our organization for sure. Um, we ensure the high net worth. Uh, this is typically where we find uh, values of a certain level is is what we go after. And, um, and if the cars come along, that's going to be great. We'll service the vehicles as well. But we then offer collections policies that obviously for people that that do have a variety of different passions, um, we can ensure that and specialize in that. We have pure art services as a part of a uh, service that we can offer to help evaluate um, fine arts and jewelry and and collectibles. We offer watercraft. uh, We offer umbrella. We offer flood insurance. Um, I think we're everything personal lines. We are everything that people that have significant wealth either want or need to protect. And um, and we try to be the best at everything that we offer. So I'll ask it a different way. So when the guy from Cincinnati or I don't know, uh, Chubb says, yeah, we do all that too. And we do it just as well. What kind of questions should I be asking my insurer in order to evaluate between uh, insurers? What kind of questions should I be asking? At least to me, and maybe I'm a little bit tainted on the claim side, but to me, this is a product that um, 
you know, doesn't really come into service until there is an incident, whether it be with your car or with your home. And, uh, and it is how the claim is being handled. I'd like to pride ourselves and say, if our phone rings after that claim is presented, we probably haven't done enough. We should be anticipating what would, what would be happening next and keep the ball in our court and be able to make decisions. I think that's a differentiator in how I've come into this industry and, uh, and made a difference at Pure was to close down that middle environment, right? First notice of losses are being submitted a certain way, payments are being made. But if you can keep on top of the claims and the pending counts can be relatively manageable with people, we're offering a service and keeping them um, informed as to where their claim is and what to expect. That's a differentiator at Pure, at least when I talk to other colleagues at different carriers, I think that's maybe what they would miss. Communications and managing expectations. Absolutely. All right. We've got about three minutes, two minutes. Closing thoughts from each of you. Uh, let's look forward. Crystal ball. What can I expect in the next couple of years? I just pulled up a, uh, I believe, a, a headline here. Maybe you want to comment on it. But it said the homeowner's space is the hardest market in decades. So give me a crystal ball in the last minute or so. Joe um, Flood, crystal ball. Uh, my crystal ball is as we get more storms and flood losses, cat capacity will be strained. And so uh, it will take more innovation, modeling, and creativity to offer the coverages um, that we're used to seeing or maybe have seen in the past. So uh, that's, I don't think it's going to get a lot easier. I think the carriers that are uh, not offering flood as a throw-in anymore may also continue not to include it. Uh, and cat capacity is going to continue to be hard to find. Brendan? Yeah, I think it's going to become harder and harder to insure properties in certain locations throughout the country. We're already seeing that in California where it's almost impossible to get a homeowner's policy right now. Florida, the same. Um, I think we're going to start seeing it in Long Island. And I think we're going to start seeing significant rate increases in New York City due to all the water losses in the condos and co-ops. So I see premiums continue to increase over the next couple of years. And I think it's going to be harder to write certain risk. Frank. I'd say I think the carriers will look to uh, control their catastrophic exposures even more. Technology becomes a... Uh, much more apparent in our, in our everyday environment, helping uh, helping carriers get more profitable as long as the members are willing to, to use that technology and prevent their losses. Thank you. This is a great show. I mean, I'll, I'll leave the final word to Roberto, but please like us, share us, subscribe to us, give us a rating if you like this show. And I think this is maybe the best show out of, uh, of ever. Um, then please uh, spread the word. Roberto. Final thoughts. My final thoughts are, I mean, I'm just astonished as to the nuance of this and how, how varied it can be and how, why, how, how cheap and you, you kind of get what you pay for really. And if you really value something, you really have to pay, you really have to pay for the best. And that's just it. You're going to, you're going to switch carriers in Southampton. I'm already talking to Brendan. <laughs> I was supposed to do my homework. I'm supposed to talk to him tomorrow. <laughs> that's a great ending all right yes. do your homework everybody thanks and we'll see you next week all right, guys thank you so much hey, Roberto. thank you john thank, thank you everybody, everybody.